welcome if you're visiting. Lovely to see you. Not to embarrass you, but it's great to see you. Um, we're looking at, yes, the story of the feeding of the 5,000. And I just want to say this. It's a well-known story, isn't it? I mean, Sunday school, you probably, if you went to Sunday school, it was an old classic. Everyone, pretty much everyone has heard of Jesus feeding a large crowd with five loaves of bread and two fish. Um, I want to just say at the beginning, though, that um, the crowd was far larger than 5,000. That was only the men. For some reason, they tended to count the men, and then the women and children after weren't always mentioned. So people think that the, the, the crowd that Jesus fed was probably more in the region of 10 to 15,000 when you add on the ladies and the children. So it wasn't a small, well, even 5,000 wasn't small, was it? It was a big thing. The other quick thing is that this story appears in all four Gospels, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and it's the only miracle to do that, apart from the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The cross and the resurrection appear in every Gospel, but this one only is the only miracle re recorded every single time. So it's obviously rather important. It's not just they copied each other, these writers. God thinks it's important. That is why it's in the Bible. In fact, it is actually, this idea of feeding a crowd from Jesus appears six times in the New Testament. I'm not showing off my knowledge, by the way. I'm just <laughs> letting you know. It appears six times because there's another time when Jesus fed a crowd, and that was when he fed 4,000 men, plus women and children. And that was a different occasion. So it appears six times. So obviously... I think we need to sit up and take notice of this miracle. It's not just a nice little thing that happened once upon a time that we tell in Sunday school. It's actually very important. And just so you know, before we really get going, when he fed 5,000 people, they were Jewish people. When he fed 4,000 people, they were non-Jewish people in a different part of the country. So what it's saying is the heart of Jesus is for all mankind. Not just for the Jews, not just for the non-Jews, but for all mankind. That's why it was done twice. Now I'm going to do something a little bit different today. I hope John's alright with this. <laughs> He's the elder. Um, rather than read just John's account, I'm going to do what I call a combined gospel account. Where we've got Mark and John blended together. Because Mark's gospel says things that John misses out. John's Gospel says things that Mark misses out. And although they've got their reasons and it's all of Scripture and of God, I just thought it'd be good to get the bigger picture. Because there's some extra things I like what Mark said in his account than what John said. So I'm going to blend them. I hope that doesn't confuse you. So you can't really follow it, but if you want to follow it, you can follow it. It's in John 6 or Mark 6, but I'm going to mix them together. So, I won't do this normally, but I just thought it'd be good. Let's just read it. Jesus said to his disciples, let's go away by ourselves to a desert place and rest for a while. He said this because there were so many people coming and going that Jesus and his disciples did not even have time to eat. So they went away by themselves privately in the boat to the other side of the Sea of Galilee and came to a deserted place. But... Many people recognized them and saw them leaving, and people from many towns ran ahead along the shore and got there ahead of them. 
Jesus saw the huge crowd as he stepped out from the boat and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. He welcomed them and spoke to them of the kingdom of God and he began to teach them many things and cure those who needed healing. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was near and about to happen. Late in the evening, Jesus climbed a hill and sat down with his disciples around him. And they said to him, This place is a desert place, a wilderness. And the hour is late. Send the crowds away, that they may go and find farms and villages and stay there and buy themselves bread, for they have nothing to eat. Jesus said, They don't need to go away. Turning to Philip, this is in John's account, Turning to Philip, he said, Where can we buy bread to feed all these people? He was testing Philip, for Jesus already knew himself what he was going to do. Philip replied, Look, even if we worked for many months, we wouldn't have enough money to buy bread for all these. Jesus then said to the disciples, You give them something to eat. How many loaves do you have? Go and see. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to Jesus, "Uh, there's a boy here with five small barley loaves and two small dried fish. But what good is that in this huge crowd? Jesus said, bring that to me. Jesus said, make the people sit down. So the disciples made them sit down on the grassy slopes in groups by hundreds and by fifties. Jesus took the five small loaves and the two small dried fish and looked up to heaven, gave thanks, blessed them and broke them, passing them to the disciples. And the disciples distributed them out to the crowd as much as the people desired. When everyone was filled, he said to his disciples, gather up any broken pieces which are left, that nothing be lost. So they picked up the pieces and filled 12 baskets with scraps left over from those that had eaten. Those who had eaten were about 5,000 men, in addition to all the women and children. So as I say, that's a combined reading. I hope you're okay with that, but it gives a fuller picture, in my view, of this. Now, Before we get right into this, I just want to say that to a Jewish person reading this, it would have meant a whole lot more than to us. You see, for a Jewish person to find out, to hear about bread being given out in the desert or in the wilderness would have made them remember something in their history. They would have remembered Moses leading the people through the wilderness and how bread came down from heaven called manna, which it was like a wafer-thin type of bread, And they would have remembered that, and when they saw Jesus doing the same thing, they would have thought, hang on a minute, is he the new Moses? Is he the new Messiah? Is he the one we're waiting for? So for them, it was much more relevant than maybe to us when we read it. We don't think about Moses walking in the desert and bread, whereas the Jews did. It reminded them of this, and so what Jesus is really saying for the Jews, he's saying, I'm the Messiah. I'm here, guys. I've arrived. They would have also remembered Elisha and Elijah, because Elisha also um, 
multiplied bread and fed a hundred men, not five thousand, a hundred. But you see, Jesus is saying to the Jews, I'm greater than Moses, I'm greater than Elisha, greater than Elijah. You know, the Jewish people, you know, sit up and take notice. Okay. But that's not so relevant to us, maybe. Because I don't know, any, any Jews here? I asked this last time I preached. Not Jewish, are you? Um, bless you if you are. But um, why is it in the gospel so many times? Well, I believe there are three fundamental reasons. One, it teaches us about mankind. Two, it teaches us about Jesus and what he's done for mankind, the gospel. And three, it teaches us about how to serve him. Say that again. It teaches us about mankind. It teaches us about Jesus and what he's done and who he is. And it teaches us about how to serve him. It's very, very basic, simple truth. What does it say about man? Well, in that story... There was a crowd, and they were hungry. In fact, by the end of the day, they were probably starting to get very hungry. And I believe they came, obviously they sought Jesus because they wanted bread. That was one of the reasons they came. But it's a picture to me of how people are spiritually starved. They are, man is a starved being. In fact, he's worse than that. Spiritually, he's a dead being without God. This is the negative part. But he's a starved being, and the only person who can satisfy man is Jesus, who is the bread of life. He's the only one, that's who we're supposed to feed on. This is a picture, it's in picture language, of how man is a starved being. Because there was no food there except a Mickey Mouse amount of five little... By the way, those five loaves were probably the size of a scone. The fish were like pilchards, tiny we think, and they were dried, wouldn't have been raw. And the other thing about this, the men that came is that they needed to be told to sit down to be fed. You make, well, that's pretty obvious, because if you're going to feed a load of people, you've got to make them sit down, otherwise they will stampede you, won't they? I mean, if Jesus had started dishing out bread, they would have mobbed him. The other reason, practically, why he made them sit in groups of 50 was because it's easy to give people food. I mean, look at you, th- you lot. Sorry, you lot. You, you're, in, you lot. you're in three groups. If I wanted to give you food, it's much easier to give it to you when you're in groups. Otherwise, I might miss someone if you're all crowding. But the key thing is, one of the, the phrases that struck me is when Jesus said, make the people sit down. And man does not naturally sit down at the feet of Jesus Christ. Man will go anywhere and everywhere except to the feet of Jesus, looking for answers, looking for solutions. They'll try this philosophy, they'll try this religion, they'll try this help, they'll try this. They will not, well, they will eventually, if they're open to God, come and eventually sit down. Because Jesus commanded only those that were set down to be fed. Have you sat down at the feet of Jesus and given up looking at everything else. I'm sure most of you, if not all of you, have. But that's the place of getting fed, is to sit and wait and look to the Lord for the answers. You know, man is a wanderer. Man is a, use the old-fashioned word, a vagabond. You know, Cain in the Bible, Cain, when he killed his brother Abel, he went into what was called the land of Nod, which is not the land of sleep, 
I hope you don't, I hope you don't go into the land of Nod this morning. Um, but the land of Nod means the land of wandering. And mankind is, man is a wanderer. He, he's searching, seeking. There's a verse in the Bible which says, someone said to Jesus, you know, Jesus, everyone's looking for you. And that is true. They don't realize they are. They don't think they are. But man is a wanderer, and Jesus says, make them sit down. We have to sit and stop and listen to the Lord if we want salvation, if we want to be fed. You know, we are fed through our ears. <laughs> I don't mean physically. Don't go home and try eating your dinner through your ears. It won't work. Although my child, Lydia, once... When she refused to drink milk, my, her grandfather stuck the bottle in her ear, she, just as a joke, because she wouldn't drink. Um, but the point is, <laughs> spiritually, we drink and feed through what we hear. And God will feed us if we sit. So you, those of you who know the Lord, please, I hope you spend time sitting before Jesus, not just rushing around left, right, and center. Have you done the last thing? the Lord told you to do? Have you done the last thing the Lord told you to do? Have I? Sometimes the Lord can say to you, forgive that person. Let go of that. Start serving, doing that. Just quickly, I mustn't go on, but some of you may have heard of J. John. J. John, he's a famous evangelist. He preaches in India, he preaches in Africa, he preaches in Australia, he's a great gifted guy, goes around preaching. And one day in his church, someone said, we need volunteers to serve coffee. And he thought, well, I don't need to do that. I'm the preacher. And the Lord said to him, I want you to serve coffee. So he argued with God. I hope you don't argue with God. <laughs> the Lord can take that out of you. And he said, okay, Lord. And he started to serve coffee once a month for three years the great preacher. And he said to God, he said, look God, I'm a preacher. And the Lord said, so what? I can get another preacher. So he thought, oh, I better do the coffee. So he did the coffee. He said in three years of serving coffee, he met more people in the church than he had in 17 years previously by meeting them, serving coffee. So, you know, we must sit and listen to what the Lord is telling us to do. Have you done the last thing God told you to do? Now, I said this story tells us about mankind. Well, I've talked about the crowd. You know, the crowd was hungry. The crowd wouldn't sit down. The next thing I want to just say about this, uh, about how this describes mankind, is the location. I believe Jesus chose the location very, very carefully. He chose a desert place. By the way, a desert place doesn't mean sand and cactuses. It means barren, desolate wilderness. Uh, quite a bit of rock, maybe. You know, some deserts, if you go to them, they're not all sand. Some of them are rock. They're hard places. The Sahara. If you fly over the Sahara, don't know if any of you have ever done that. But if you fly over the Sahara and you look down, you see black rock, not just sand. And I believe Jesus chose this location because it's a picture of man's heart. Man is desolate without God. Man is dry Man is uh, barren. Man is deserted. He hasn't got the presence of the Lord. Like Cain, he was shut out from the presence of God. It's not by chance that Jesus said, let's go to this deserted place. 
And I'm hoping to really encourage you a bit later about that. But you see, three times in Mark's Gospel it says, let's go to a desert place. And then it says, they arrived at a desert place. And then the disciples say, Jesus, this is a desert place. Send them away. It's a picture of man's heart, dry, barren, without God in his heart. I used to work in a school when I worked harder than I do now, <laughs> um, teaching at, uh, RE. And in the department, there was a Christian guy, and I was quite good friends with him. And there was a lady, an older lady, in the department. And I said to this uh, guy, Matthew, his name was, I won't say the name of the lady in case she ever listens. <laughs> I said to him, I said, Matthew, what, what does that lady believe? What? And he said to me, he said, Simon, she's a desert. I thought that was really harsh, calling a woman a desert. He said, she's just dry. She's got nothing. She's just... But people are like that on the inside. And, um, you know, a desert it's, or a deserted place, it can be no shade, unrelenting heat. The trouble is people don't believe they're like that. So what people do is they will cover over their bankruptcy, their uh, poverty, their dryness, their desolation by having a big fat job, having a nice posh car, by having lots of hobbies, by lots of friends. It's all designed to um, anaesthetize you to the fact that you don't really have life in your heart. I'm not trying to be negative, but it's just, I believe why Jesus picked that place. It was a barren spot. And it's a picture of human, the human heart. Uh, but I'm going to encourage you a bit later. But people don't believe that they're like that, you know. Uh, one guy called um, Ray Comfort, he's an evangelist, he once said to someone who said to him, I'm fine, I don't need this Jesus, I'm fine. I'm, I'm a good guy, you know, I pay my taxes, I don't murder anyone, I'm not a paedophile, I'm fine. And this guy, Ray Comfort, said to him, he said, have you ever told a lie? He said, yeah. He said, well, God says you're a liar. That's a bit harsh. He said, have you ever stolen anything? And this guy says, yeah, stole a pen from work. He says, well, God says you're a thief. What? He says, have you ever looked lustfully at another woman in the office? He says, yeah, many times. <laughs> Sorry. And he said, well, God says you're an adulterer. What? Yeah, even in your heart. You might not have done it. And he said, have you ever taken the Lord's name in vain and said, oh, my, you know, G-O-D? Have you ever done that? He said, yeah, many times. He said, well, God says you're a blasphemer. He said, how can you stand before a holy God when you've done those things? And he was like, you're not serious. But the point is, God's standard of holiness is very, very high. But through Jesus, we're completely washed. We're completely washed through Jesus. Not through us, through Jesus. We're completely washed. Okay. The other thing about um, this situation of man is that they're in a very impossible situation aren't they? I mean they can't afford to buy food for all these people they can't uh, even perhaps get to the farms because some of them it says in another version in the feeding of the 4,000 it says that they might faint as they try to do it I mean the, the packed lunch that the boy presented was a joke in one sense how can this feed all those people? It's impossible come on you know Months and months of work wouldn't cover it. Man is in an impossible situation, but Jesus can come and absolutely transform him. As I say, I'm going to encourage you in a minute. 
But before that, I just want to quickly say, another way this shows us about man, I've talked about the crowd, I've talked about the location, I've talked about the impossibility, but another little way is in the disciples. You know, if you look at the disciples, you get a lovely picture of what people are like. You know the disciples, do you know what they did, Philip, what he did? Instead of looking to Jesus for the answer, he looked at the problem. Whoa. Look at this problem. 10,000 people, there's nothing we can do. But you see, people do that. They don't look at Jesus, they look at the problem. They don't look at the resource, Jesus, he can solve it. They look at the problem. Do, are you ever like that? <laughs> I know I am. You look at the problem instead of looking to Jesus. That's what man does. The other thing man does is he makes excuses. Hands up if you ever make excuses. <laughs> Here is a classic excuse. I love it, these disciples. I love the disciples. They make me laugh sometimes. You know what they said to Jesus? They came to Jesus and said, Jesus, um, all these people are very, very hungry. You know, you need to send them away or they're going to be hungry. Do you know the real reason they said that? Because Jesus, we're knackered. Send them away. We're fed up. Get rid of them. Get them out of my hair. Get them out from under my feet. Come on, we've been here all day, we haven't eaten, and we tried to get away from them in the beginning, and now they're here again, and now we haven't got any food, and it's now evening. Get rid of them. That was the real reason, but their excuse, it was all nice and polished on the outside. They were saying, you know, oh Lord, they're hungry, you need to send them away. It was a complete fraud. <clears throat> the other thing about man is man is very, very thick. I'm not picking on anyone here, I'm sure you're all very intelligent, but generally speaking, he's slow to learn. Because when Jesus said to Philip, you know, how are we going to feed these people? Philip, he should have thought, thought, hang on a minute, you've changed water into wine. Uh, hang on a minute, you've raised a guy who was lame. You've healed some guy. Jesus, you can do it. Instead he goes, oh, I don't know. We can't afford this. You know, he, was, he didn't learn the lesson. And then again, when they fed the 4,000 in uh, Mark chapter 8... There again, Jesus is challenging them, you know, who's going to feed these people? And they go, oh, can't do that. They, they failed twice. And then they got into a boat at one point, and, and they were talking about bread, and they were like thinking, Jesus is cross, we didn't bring any bread. Again, they, they just were so slow. I mean, do you ever have to learn a lesson again and again and again? Does, does God ever send you round again until you learn it again and again? I've had it loads of times. Sometimes God has to teach us again and again. But he loves us until we learn it. Okay, that's enough about man. But I just wanted to say that the desolation is a picture of what sin does to people. It just makes them empty, dry, without the Lord. But here we go. This is the encouraging bit, I hope. <laughs> what does Jesus delight to do? What does Jesus delight to do when he sees a desert situation? You know, when, when Jesus sees a desolate situation, it excites him. It's like a magnet to him. He wants to come, he wants to come and change that and bless that. Because if you will recall, when the God's people went through the desert, although they were disobedient, God gave them a cloud to go before them and behind them, to give them shade in the day, to give them warmth and fire at night. God blessed them in the desert. God opened up rocks and let water flow out in the desolation in the desert. He blessed them in the desert. God gave bread from heaven in the desert. God gave the manna, the quail, the birds, the meat 
I mean, what I'm just trying to say to you is if, if you this morning feel dry, dead, you came here just because you, you, know, you didn't want to, could hardly get out of bed, you, know, you feel fed up, if you feel dry and desolate and empty and you can't hear the Lord, I want to tell you it's a God's great opportunity to come and transform your desolation. I want to read you a scripture which makes me tingle and my hair stand up on end. Well, I've got much left, but, you know, <laughs> it's Isaiah 35. Just listen to this, Isaiah 35. This is the Lord's heart for those who feel desolate and dry. Even the wilderness and the desert will be glad in those days. The desert will rejoice and blossom like a rose. Yes, there will be an abundance of flowers and singing and joy. The deserts will become as green as the mountains of Lebanon, as lovely as Mount Carmel or the plain of Sharon. There the Lord will display his glory, the splendor of our God. With this news, strengthen those who have tired hands and encourage those who have weak knees. Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong and do not fear, for your God is coming to destroy your enemies. He is coming to save you. When he comes, he will open the eyes of the blind, unplug the ears of the deaf. The lame will leap like a deer, and those who cannot speak will sing for joy. Springs will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The parched ground will become a pool, and springs of water will satisfy the thirsty land. Marsh, grass, and reeds, and rushes will flourish where desert jackals once lived. And a great road will go through that once deserted place. It will be called the highway of holiness. The unclean shall not be on it. It will be for those who walk in God's ways. Fools will not walk there. Lions will not lurk there. Nor any ferocious beasts. There will be no other dangers. And it talks about sorrow and mourning disappearing and singing and with joy and gladness. That is the Lord's heart for those who feel Empty, dry, dead, without Christ. He wants to come and transform your desert. Just like he did, even to the disobedient Israelites, you know, he opened the rock for them in the desert in Psalm 78. He gave them uh, manna. I won't read that now. That's the Lord's heart. But the key is you've got to sit down. You've got to come to Jesus and believe that he is the answer. Don't go running around trying this, trying that, trying the other. Come and sit and he will transform the desolation into a beautiful, beautiful place. Um, that's the heart of the Lord. Now the other thing I want to say about the Lord in this story, going back into John's story, the account. So I've just said really that the feeding happened in a deserted place. God delights to do that. The next thing I want to say is about Jesus himself. The reason he gave out the bread was to say, he was actually saying, look, I am what you need. I am the bread of life. I am who you need to feed on. And something really struck me when I read this, and it was what Jesus said to Philip in John 6, uh, verse 5. Just this little phrase struck me when Jesus said to Philip. He said, Philip... Where can we buy bread? Is that word buy? Where can we buy bread to feed all these people? And Philip said, if we worked for months, we couldn't afford it. 
I like that word buy. I don't know why, it just stuck in my heart. And I want to say that, you know, we didn't have to buy anything. Jesus bought it all. He paid for it all. The living bread, which is God himself. That's what God really wants to do, is come and live inside a man or a woman. God himself. It was paid for by, not, we don't buy it. It was paid for by God on the cross. And that's obvious, but it's worth saying. That phrase stuck out of me, you know, where can we buy it? You can't buy it. It's being paid for already. What you've got to do is sit down and receive it. <laughs> Him, rather. It's receiving Jesus. He is the bread. And I love this little phrase where it says, he says to Philip, where can we buy bread? Knowing full well you can't. And it says, Jesus said, he already knew what he was going to do. And I think Jesus was thinking of the cross. He knew what he was going to do. He knew he was going to hang on the cross for mankind and become the living bread for them. He knew what he was going to do. And Philip, of course, I mean, it's got a double meaning, but Philip, of course, thought it was all about work. He thought, well, if we work hard, you know, even if we work hard, we can't feed people. And it, that's the gospel. You see, the gospel isn't about work. It's not about your work. It's about the work of Christ. It's about what he did, and you've just got to sit down and receive Jesus. And you can change your desert into the blossoming, beautiful place with God in your heart. <clears throat> it's not about work. Okay. The last thing I want to say, really, it's not particularly long today, you'll <laughs> be glad to know, <laughs> is it shows us these things about God. I've talked about mankind. I've talked about God, how he delights to bless and turn the desert into a place of blessing, and how he wants to fill us with himself. And by the way, um, they were filled, weren't they? They were filled up uh, to abundance uh, in this story. They had so much. That's what God's heart, God's heart is to fill people. The last thing I want to say is, what can it teach us about serving God? Very basic question. This story, what can it teach us about serving God? And I just want to focus on one thing. The boys packed lunch. You know, Andrew, he had a... Andrew, the boy, not the boy, no, he's not Andrew. Andrew's the disciple, sorry. The boy that Andrew brought, he had a packed lunch. It was five little loaves of bread and two fish. Not much. And uh, I, I, don't, I, don't, <laughs> I don't believe the disciples just nicked it off him. You know, made him cry. Give us your lunch, boy. <laughs> like I once, you know, like I once ate one of my daughter's sandwiches. And Anyway. Um, <clears throat> what happened was, this boy presented his lunch. And you know what? That was everything he had. Would you have given up all your lunch to that day? Would you have given up all five loaves and all two fish? Or would you have kept, would you have kept a fish for yourself and a couple of loaves? I'll give you Jesus three. The secret to ministry, this is what I just want to say, the secret to serving the Lord is you've got to give Jesus everything. Give him everything. Even if you think it's small and pathetic, you might say, well, I can't do a lot. I only can make coffee. Sorry, no offence if you make coffee. Coffee is, I mean, I told you a story about that. Making coffee is a great thing. Listen, the, the secret to ministry is you've just got to give everything you've got to Jesus. However small, you might think, well, it's, what use is that amongst all these people? You know, like Andrew said, he said, what good's that amongst these people? 
But I tell you this, the reason it's in the Gospels is because God is reminding us again and again and again and again that little things given completely to Jesus, he can use to do incredible stuff. That's why we need to be reminded. Don't forget that if you give your little thing to Jesus, whatever it is, your gift, your abilities, then he can use it to feed a multitude. He can increase it. Don't have the attitude of Andrew, who said, well, what good's that? Are any of you cynical? <laughs> Not looking at... Are any of you sarcastic? You go, oh, God can't use that. It's pathetic. It's a bit of nothing. What good am I? I'm not a great preacher. Look, just give it all to Jesus and you'll be amazed. He can take it and do stuff that you wouldn't imagine. This little boy, he gave his whole, his whole packed lunch and he got back a much more massive lunch afterwards. Do you know Andrew? He probably thought it was pathetic. He probably thought it was a bit like if you went to a starving camp of... Um, Sorry, I pick on the Ethiopians, but I know they suffered terribly. If you go to, a, it's like going to a starving camp of people, like the poor Ethiopians back then, with a stick of chewing gum, and going like, would anyone like a lick? You know, it's just, it's like a joke, isn't it? But if you give it to Jesus, He can multiply it and feed a multitude. Somebody once said to a guy called William Booth, have you heard of him? He was the leader of the Salvation Army. They said to him, what was the secret of your success? He said, it's not really a secret. He just said, he said I, I saw it as best I could that God could have all there was of William Booth. That's how I lived. I just gave everything there was of William Booth, I gave to God. And God used him to feed many, many people. Um... That is quite a simple message, but I want to encourage you to just be like the boy. Give everything. I don't mean go and be crazy and go and get all nutty. I don't mean that. I just mean lay yourself. Say, Jesus, you can have it all. Everything. And I bet you, I'll tell you, I'm not betting you. You're not allowed to bet, are you? I'll tell you, God will use it to bless people beyond what you could ever imagine. Um, that's what the real lesson of this story is. Because people do themselves down. I know I do. You beat yourself up. Say, oh, I'm rubbish. I'm like Marvin the Android in Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Have you ever seen that? He's like a depressed android. Oh, no good. But God says, give it all to me and see what I can do. To close, um, I'd like to read you a poem. Hannah, Hannah writes poems, by the way. They're much better than this one. But I didn't write this one. <laughs> Um, it's called, it's all, it, it, it All Depends on Whose Hands It's In. That's what it's called. A basketball in my hands is worth $19. But a basketball in Michael Jordan's hands, basketball player, is worth $33 million. It depends whose hands it's in. A tennis racket in my hands is useless. A tennis racket in Andy Murray's hands is a Wimbledon championship. It depends on whose hands it's in. A rod in my hands will keep away a wild animal. A rod in Moses' hands will part the mighty sea. It depends on whose hands it's in. Two fish and five small loaves in my hands is a packed lunch. 
Two fish and five small loaves in God's hands will feed thousands. It depends on whose hands it's in. Nails in my hands might produce a birdhouse. Nails in Jesus Christ's hands will produce salvation for the entire world. It depends on whose hands they are in. So you see, it depends whose hands it's in. So put your hopes, your worries, your dreams, your fears, your families, your relationships. Put yourself, your gifts, your ministry, your abilities, and everything you have into God's hands. And you will see it will depend on whose hands it's in. That was a poem. Um, I mean, this story, we're going to do a song in a minute about um, surrendering everything to Jesus. It's a very simple message. Um, But this story, you know, it can teach us that um, ministry, it all depends on our attitude. (laughs) And God can always outdo what we give and make it abundantly multiply. So we're just going to sing a song. It's called All for Jesus.